Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I love that last part of that. And no one can take your joy from you. Yes. Good stuff. Super Bowl weekend. What do you think? You don't sound too excited. <laughs> and I, yeah, that's, uh, I can understand. How many know, knew that this was Super Bowl weekend, knew that it was Super Bowl weekend? How many did not know, did not know? Okay, so, okay. How many did not care, do not care? <laughs> I love it, you guys. Because if you did care, you'd be sitting in front of the TV all day long watching that forever you know, craziness that kind of pushes and talks big about the whole Super Bowl. But, but I do need to ask this. Uh, do we have any um, Kansas City Chief fans in the house? Oh, wow. We probably get, ought to get the security over here on that one. Okay. Who was that? Okay, how about Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Oh, there was a boo for both of those teams. Yeah, our team didn't make it, did it? No wonder you guys are so disappointed. Yeah, 
So, oh well, we got more important business to do here, don't we? Studying God's Word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel according to John, chapter 3. Those were the verses that we just read, uh, 21 verses of chapter 3. Believe is the current teaching series. We're working our way through the Gospel of John. Become a brand new person is the title of this weekend's message. The purpose of the book of John is found in John chapter 20, verse 31. These things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. In his name, yes, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is a life that is incomparable to any other kind of life you could live, and it comes as a result of you putting your faith in the name, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grab your sermon notes. You can follow along on the intro. Most people in many churches approach Christianity like it's, like it's a self-improvement program. My life, for the most part, is on track, and there, there are, but there are a few areas of my life that need to improve. So how can Jesus come into my life to help me become a better person? That's often how Christ is presented or Christianity or the gospel is presented in, in many American churches these days. The Christian life is not an invitation to become a better person. That may shock some folks. It's not an invitation to become a better person, but to become a brand new person, to become born again. Listen to me, it's not something that you, you achieve, it's something that you receive. You can't accomplish it, it's something you receive. And in fact, it tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, those that are in Christ have become a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. A new creation, born again, a brand new person. And in fact, it's really the difference between fixing your old car or receiving the gift of a brand new car. <laughs> How many would like to have someone gift you with a brand new car? Any, any, okay, get in line behind me, okay, because that's, that's, I would like that. That would be nice. Anybody here, is there anybody here that could do that maybe? Uh, Okay, no, okay. Anyway, and so it's the difference between fixing your old car and receiving a, a, the gift of a brand new car. Becoming a Christian is not about making you a better version of yourself. It's, uh, it's about making you a brand new person. Now, now, here's the point that I want you to understand right at the front end of this message. You cannot meet the creator of the universe and remain the same. There's no way. There's a problem when people talk about meeting God or knowing God and yet remain unchanged by God. If the God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present, another way of saying that the God that is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent comes to dwell within you, you will not be the same. You are no longer suited for a normal life. He transforms our lives. This is the wonderful and beautiful understanding of the Christian life, of being born again. When you become a brand new person. John chapter 3 is the most comprehensive chapter in the Bible on the subject of being born again. So three questions we're looking at, I believe it answers in this text, these 21 verses of chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. 
Why do we need it? Why do we need to be born again? Second question, what is it? And then how do we get it? We're looking at those three questions. Let's take that first question. Why do we need it? The answer is found in verses one through six. Here's your first fill in the blank. Why do we need it? To see the kingdom of God. Look at verses one and two. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now keep in mind, Pharisees despised Jesus. They hated Jesus. Notice this Pharisee, uh, it says, this man came to Jesus by night. Now, some believe he was kind of incognito. He was kind of hiding out. He didn't want the peer pressure of his fellow Pharisees because they despised Jesus. They would have gotten down on him. But there's something working in this guy's life. And so he's kind of intrigued by Jesus. And so it says that he came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So he's, he's close, not close enough. He's more than just a teacher that came from God. He is God. So, so, you know, the old gears are turning in his brain. He's trying to figure out who is this man. And, for, and he goes on, he says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's really intrigued by Jesus. So Nicodemus is a man in his community that is morally upstanding, highly educated. He's very wealthy. He's successful, deeply spiritual, very disciplined in his life, and yet there's something missing in all of that because religion will not satisfy you. So he's intrigued by Jesus, comes at night, wants to ask him some questions, and Jesus cuts right to the chase. He's not flattered in the least bit by what this guy is saying. He says immediately, verse 3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the word truly, truly is a double amen. Jesus is saying, this is extremely important, and I know this firsthand because I am the originator of this truth. It's a claim of divinity. This is really, really important. In fact, I know this because I'm God in the flesh, and I'm telling you, this is truth. And he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now, now let's talk about this seeing the kingdom of God just for a moment. In Luke chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus is, is telling these stories in the form of parables, and he talks about the people that are listening to these parables, and he's talking about there's a group in, in the midst of the people that are listening to these parables, and he says this, though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear. Now, what does he mean by that? And what he means by that is that you can, you can have physical eyes and ears and not have spiritual eyes and ears. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a great story that illustrates this in the Old Testament. It's, it's a, a kind of a favorite story of mine, 2 Kings chapter 6. And the prophet Elisha, the the, the the people of God are surrounded by an enemy nation, and the prophet Elisha is cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> He's not even bothered by this. And yet his servant is freaking out. 
His servant is extremely anxious and upset and, and wondering, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And notice how the prophet Elisha responds to him, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. By the way, what's the most frequent command in the Bible? Do not be afraid. What's the most frequent promise in the Bible? I am with you. That's exactly right there. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And then he goes on. It's, it's, it's quite fascinating here. Verse 17, he says, Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All of a sudden, boom, he began to see, you're right. Why am I so stressed out? Why am I so anxious? I don't need to be, because God is for us, not against us. When you are born again, there's something that begins to take place, and it could be in infant form that needs to be nurtured through the years. But when you are born again, when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become born again. You begin to see the invisible hand of God. You begin to see his work in your life unlike ever before, and you can even see it in the lives of others. You're able to come alongside of others and say, hey, hey, don't be fearful. I can see God's hand. He's working in your life. This is how I see his hand in your life. And so when you are born again, you begin to see the invisible hand of God, but you hear the inaudible voice of God. I, I don't fully understand it. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I've heard the inaudible voice of God in my, in my spirit, in my thoughts, in my, in, through impressions, thoughts, ideas, through the reading of God's Word, I've had verses come after me as I've studied God's Word. I, I, as I've sat there and studied, God would speak to me. There would be an impression on my heart that I would realize, oh my goodness, God is here. He hears me. He knows me. He loves me. And, and, and even through interacting with other people, I've had some of you speak to me and not you probably didn't even realize that this was God speaking to me through you. Pretty amazing. And so when you're born again, you see the invisible hand of God. You hear the inaudible voice of God. You experience the inexplicable but undeniable presence of God. And there's nothing like it. I think this is the best part of the Christian life is the presence of God. You just, you have that. So, so we, we understand that God is omnipresent. That's what the Bible teaches. But there's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifested presence of God. He manifests himself to you, maybe through a song, through the study of God's word, through the interaction as you're ministering to someone else and you're praying for them. God shows up and begins to manifest himself in that person's life. As you begin to pray prayer like, unlike you've ever prayed before, God begins to use you and speak through you to them in an amazing way. Nothing like the presence of God. I love, love the presence of God. And, and, and what happens is that all of this begins to change your whole outlook on life. Sin doesn't look so attractive 
When you begin to have those eyes to see the kingdom of God, sin doesn't look so attractive. Suffering isn't so overwhelming. Politics aren't so maddening. Anybody relate to that? It's kind of maddening out there, pretty, pretty crazy. And yet you just know, God, I know that you're up to something here. I, I have eyes to see. You're working. Looks pretty crazy out there. But when you have eyes to see the kingdom of God, it makes all the difference in the world. People's negative attitudes and opinions aren't so irritating because, as the prophet said, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's the bottom line. One of the reasons why we have such, you know, we experience inordinate anxiety and anger and depression and all these negative emotions that, that overwhelm us like a deep, dark cloud that comes over us, we need to have eyes to see what God is up to. And so you may be born again. Sometimes you just need to say, God, open the eyes of my heart so that I can see what you're doing. Please reveal yourself to me. But if you're not born again, you won't ever see that until you are born again. And so why do we need it to see the kingdom of God? We also need it to enter the kingdom of God. That's your next fill in the blank. To enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Now this is kind of crazy what he says here. Listen to his rationale. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Some of you women that had extra large babies are going, no, please don't. That's weird. My wife Nancy was in hard labor with our first child for 12 hours. I didn't feel a thing. I asked her during that time, honey, are you having some discomfort? And she had that look on her face like she wanted to hurt me. I've never seen that look before until that moment. I felt like she was wanting to get me in a headlock and beat me silly. Any women out there relate to that? Show of hands, show of hands, okay. Okay, there's a few of you out there. Yeah, I'm sure you could. That's, it's just an odd statement that he says there. Notice once again, Jesus brings him right back to the topic. Truly, truly, verse five. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There it is, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So we got to answer the question, what is the kingdom of God? Well, we know this, that the kingdom of God, that phrase is used 160 times in the New Testament. <laughs> so it's pretty important. It's an important term. And it tells us in Psalm 103:19. listen to this. It says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all rules over all. So what that verse is saying, in, in the ultimate sense, God rules the universe. In the ultimate sense, God rules the universe. When you study back into Genesis 1 and 2, it, we, we, are, we see that we were created for relationship with God and rulership of, of the planet. We, we were given dominion is the word dominion. That means rule the earth. And it was in conjunction with our relationship with God that we were to rule the earth. But when we severed that relationship with God, we rebelled against God, we forfeited our rule to none other than the serpent in the garden, Satan. 
That's why it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.4, referring to Satan as the God of this world. We also know that uh, in John 10.10, he is part of this whole uh, work of being that thief. He's behind all of that, the thief that comes to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. I mean, we see that happening. When Jesus was going through his temptations, one of the temptations is that Satan took him up on a hill, on a mountain, and said, you see all these kingdoms? They can be yours. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And so what was he saying? He's ruling a lot of kingdoms on this planet Earth. He's alive and well on planet Earth. Now, when Jesus showed up on the scene in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, this is what Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So all of us are born into the kingdom of darkness and must be born again into the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2 makes that very clear. There's no other kingdom you may think you have your own kingdom, but you're either in the kingdom of light, God, or the kingdom of darkness, Satan. Everybody on this planet Earth, that's true about everyone on this planet Earth. You're either in one kingdom or the other kingdom. There are only two kingdoms. And the kingdom of darkness is not equal and opposite of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is so much more powerful than the kingdom of darkness. And it's always important to keep that in mind. The kingdom of God is not just going to heaven when we die, but it is having heaven come to earth. It is knowing and experiencing the blessings and advantages that flow from living under Christ's rule. So you're either living under Christ's rule or you're not. The only way that you're living under Christ's rule is that you've got to give your life to Christ. Matthew 13, 44 it's uh, really a life verse for me. I won't quote it, but I'll give you a little bit of the idea of it. It basically is saying that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like finding hidden treasure that fills you with so much joy that you are willing to give up all to have it. That's how important the kingdom of God is. Romans 14, 17, maybe you're familiar with this. The kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. How many are familiar with that verse? Show of hands. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relatively a, a familiar verse. But notice what it says. is The kingdom of God is not a list of rules. The kingdom of God, is it's, it's all about relationship with the king. In fact, this is how you know that you have a relationship with the king, and this is what you should expect if indeed you, you are born again and you have a relationship with the king. There, there should be those moments where he lavishes you with his love. You're just overwhelmed by his love. And there should be those times as you continue to walk with him where he liberates you by his truth. There's a freedom that comes as a result of knowing his truth, his word. And then also he leads you with his presence, his power and peace. You have a relationship with him. And of course, he launches us into his redemptive story to take his kingdom into the people's lives and the circumstances of our life. 
Remember what he told us how to pray? Part of that prayer was, your kingdom come, your will be done. Do you hear what he's saying? That when you feel like darkness is overwhelming you, when you feel like you've got the you're having the living daylights beat out of you. There's all kinds of things, depression and darkness and difficulty and all these things. He's saying, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done. When you walk into a dark room, how do you deal with the darkness? You turn on the light. You don't curse the darkness. You turn on the light. And what happens? Light dispels darkness. I find it interesting that there are people out there that will focus on the darkness, kind of dealing with the kingdom of darkness by focusing on that. Don't focus on the kingdom of darkness and what he's up to. Focus on the light. Light dispels darkness. Invite his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Crowd out the efforts of darkness in my life, in the lives of my family, and my friends, and in this church, and in this community, with my neighbors, as I interact with them. Oh, God, bring your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's a powerful prayer. That's what he's called us to do. And, and so you're able to, to do that and crowd out the efforts of, of hell in people's lives. Where there's hatred, we can bring love. Where there's despair, we can bring hope. Where there's darkness, we can bring light. Where there's anxiety, we can bring peace. Prayer reclaims what man lost through sin and restores God's rule and reign. So through prayer and through your presence as you're interacting with people. And so to be born again, you need to be born again to not only see the kingdom of God, but to enter the kingdom of God. And then he's called us to bring that with us wherever we go to people's lives. Pretty spectacular, pretty amazing what he's called us to do. And so what is it? Verses 5 through 13 of our text, it is spiritual. That's your next fill in the blank. Look at verses 4 and 6. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Let's stop there for a minute. A little bit of controversy about this. What is the born of water? Some have said it, it's, uh, it's physical birth. woman breaks her water. Others have said it's water baptism. I don't think it's either one of those. If it was water baptism, then we would have to believe in baptismal regeneration, that you have to be baptized to be saved. And I don't think that's what it is. I'll explain what I, I believe it is in just a moment. But, but uh, and then he goes on and he says, and some believe it's related to the next verse, but I think there, there, there is some relationship, but I think there are two distinct ideas here that he's really trying to get across. So truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So let's take that first part, unless one is born of water and spirit. The best commentary for Scripture is what? Anybody? It's always Scripture. So let's go to another place in Scripture that might help us to understand this. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us. That's what we're talking about here, salvation. We're talking about being born again. So he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness. So it's not a works righteousness. But according to his own mercy, notice what he says here, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So if you were a Jew in these days, a Jewish person would understand ceremonial cleansing. That's why he's using it. Here's what he's talking to a Pharisee. And so this Pharisee is going to immediately latch on to this cleansing of 
of the Spirit, born of water, this cleansing and of the Spirit by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.26, in essence, says that we are sanctified by the cleansing of the washing of the water with the Word. So being born again is the work of the Word of God and the Spirit of God is, is what I would say he's saying here. And that just makes sense because it's through the proclamation of the Word of God, the gospel, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that's how people are saved. When they respond to that, the Holy Spirit comes and makes it real to their hearts and they are born again. Take that next verse, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Here's another good cross-reference, John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. In other words, you said, it, it, just saying, you can't achieve it. You can't achieve being born again or having a right relationship with God. It's received and it's a work of the Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit up to? What's the next fill in the blank for you? This is what he's doing in our lives, conviction of sin. John 16, 8 says that he convicts us of sin. Now, what does that mean? Well, it needs to be contrasted with condemnation. The Holy Spirit does not condemn us. He convicts us. Condemnation will push you away from God. It will push you away from God. So if you feel like the Holy Spirit's working in your life and you, you kind of feel like you're being pushed away from God, that's not coming from the Holy Spirit. That's not coming from the Holy Spirit. He's not condemning you. He convicts you. He woos you. He convicts you not to shame you, but to set you free and to satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. He's drawing you in. He's helping you to see the path that you're on, you're gonna, where you think you're going to find satisfaction. That's a dead end. No, it's only in him. He's drawing you back. The essence of sin is loving anything more than you love God. The essence of sin is trying to find your, your heart's deepest longings satisfied in something that is temporal as opposed to the eternal. So the Holy Spirit convicts us. I love what C.S. Lewis says, when we seek ultimate happiness in temporal things and don't find it, we do three things. Now listen, everybody on this planet is doing one of these three things because all of us at one time or another, and we still kind of tend to go back to that, we try to find our ultimate happiness in temporal things. So here's our response. The first thing we do is we try harder. Well, that job didn't work out for a while. It was satisfying, but let me find another job or another relationship. Or maybe I, I need more money in my bank account or I need a bigger car or I need a better house. Or you hear the treadmill of that? That's our culture. That's our culture. So we try harder. We keep trying. We keep trying. That's the first thing. The second thing, and I see a lot of people in this category, is we become bitter. I've been married two or three times now, and it's just not working out, and I'm bitter. I'm bitter. I've gone to a different jobs, and each time I think it's the best job ever, and then just shortly after that, uh, wrong. I'm bitter. So we try harder, we become bitter, or here's the third option, or we realize that we were made for another world. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. If I have a desire that no human experience can satisfy, the explanation is I was made for another world. Yes, you were made for Christ. You were made for God. You were made to have your 
deepest heart's satisfaction in Him. And we try to have that met through something in creation as opposed to the Creator. It creates all sorts of, it wrecks havoc in our life. So the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, no, 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 come here, come here. God has something so much better for you. Yeah, that's good. That's a gift from God, but it's ultimately a pointer to God. All the satisfaction you have in this world, though it's temporal, it's just a gift from God. It's pointing you back to the ultimate satisfaction that's in God. So it's a work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin. Here's the next one. It is mystical. He uses the, really an interesting analogy here to help us to understand the mystical side of the Holy Spirit. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he goes on, he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So just as the wind cannot be controlled or understood, but its effects can be, be witnessed, so also it is with the Holy Spirit. Can you see the wind? Anybody here ever see the wind? You see dirt in the wind. You see dust in the wind. You see the leaves blowing as a result of the wind. You see trees swaying as, as a result of wind. Have you felt the wind on your face? Anybody here ever feel the wind on your face? Now, all of us, okay, unless you're totally insensitive and you don't even pay attention to anything. Yeah, I've even felt the, the wind blowing through my hair. Hey, that wasn't supposed to be funny. That, that hurts, Okay. That really hurt me. I do have some hair up there. I do have to kind of turn sideways so that it does kind of hit the, hit the hair. But that's what he's saying. He's using that as an analogy. He cannot be controlled or understood, but the proof of his work is, is apparent. And uh, there will be undeniable and unmistakable evidence. I'll tell you what, 2020 was one hard year. It was really a difficult year probably one of the most difficult years in ministry I've ever experienced. How many have ever gotten, hopped on your bike and the wind's blowing and you ride into a headwind? You know what it's like to ride into a headwind? You're like pressing on those pedals and you just feel like, ah, 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 kind of like riding up a mountain. It's like all you can do. And then you turn around and you have a tailwind. And it's not this hard, it's you're just gliding. Just, yeah. Anybody relate to that? Okay. Yeah. I felt like 2020 was a headwind. And I feel like we turned the corner in 2021. And I feel like there's a tailwind here. I have this overwhelming sense that God's doing something really powerful here. Just amazing, absolutely amazing. As I watch many of you stepping up, our, our youth is growing, our children's department, I just walked through both of those. I'm excited about what God's doing there. People are, are returning back to church after the whole COVID crazy stuff. Our numbers are going through the roof. You know, we're just, we're just seeing some really good things. People are, there's an excitement in here. I had someone that hadn't been here for a few weeks, uh, uh, hadn't been here for a few months, actually the last four or five months, came a, a few weeks ago and says, man, there's like a different spirit in here. I said, that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, and he's working. He's doing some wonderful things here. It's outstanding. And there's, it's, almost kind of, it's almost kind of mystical in some ways. I felt in my life sometimes when I was uh, preaching or 
counseling or helping people, that it was almost like you were drudging through mud and then I would pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to come in there like a wind and sweep through that place and almost begin to change the atmosphere. It would begin to change the atmosphere of what was going on and you felt like you had a tailwind and you were kind of gliding at that moment. There was something that happened here a couple of weeks ago, our prayer group that meets on Sunday nights. Um, they had been praying, Lord, let us reach more and more people in this neighborhood. May we have people see our signs and just be drawn to this place, which, by the way, regularly I have people that will come in here and I'll say, so what brought you in here? Well, we were just driving by and we saw the sign. We just felt kind of drawn. We felt drawn in here. And in fact, what you said this morning was exactly what we needed to hear. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really interesting. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, this group was praying that people would be drawn in here. Right after they finished that prayer, lo and behold, in walks a couple. And they said, is this, is this a church? We were thinking maybe this is a church. You have services tonight? No, no, we've got a prayer time. And so this guy and gal walks over, and, and they said, you can join us. And they sat down, and the guy said, I, I don't know what it is, but I've walked away from the Lord, and I feel like God's doing a revival in my heart. I'm feeling like I need to come back to him and, and she said, yeah, I'm not really a believer. And so, well, that's, that's, that's okay. Come in here and hang out with us. And so they prayed with them. The following week, they came to church, and they came forward, and the guy came up and said, I've recommitted my life to Jesus. And she said, I'm giving my life to Jesus this morning. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. God gives us those. Those are like tokens to say, I'm working, whether you realize it or not, I'm working. This is just a token of what I'm wanting to do here at Desert Breeze. I'm going to be bringing more and more people here to hear the gospel message, to have their lives transformed, for people to become born again. And so that's that, that kind of that mystical part of the Holy Spirit's work. And here's your next fill in the blank. And what that does is it gives us confidence in God's grace. So, so it's spiritual, brings conviction of sin where he woos us, and then we come to this confidence of, in God's grace. That's when you know that the Holy Spirit is working. Uh, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Uh, Romans 8, 15 through 16 basically says we are no longer slaves of fear. We are children of God crying, Abba, Father, his spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So his spirit bears witness with our spirit. It's very mystical. It's like I'm overwhelmed with fear. I'm overwhelmed with darkness. And the Holy Spirit begins to speak to my heart. Like turning on the light begins to chase away the fears of my life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You begin to have renewed confidence in God's grace. And then it's experiential. That's your, your third thing there. So what is it? It's spiritual, conviction of sin, mystical, confidence in God's grace. It's experiential. This is not about feelings but faith. This is where Nicodemus is really struggling with this whole thing. So Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Nicodemus is still at a loss. Verse 10, Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So Jesus marvels that a teacher of Israel doesn't understand this. And a few chapters uh, down the road here, chapter 5 of John, Jesus makes it very clear. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to the religious leaders of, of that day. He's saying, wait, wait, you guys study the Scripture diligently because you think it brings you life. No, they, it brings you to me. The book is all about me. And that's why he's kind of baffled. He, he says, you're, you're a teacher of Israel. And you don't understand this? 
I'm right here. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you. And he's like, he's kind of clueless that a teacher of Israel doesn't understand this. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So his problem is that he doesn't receive the reliability or the reliable testimony of Jesus. John 1, 12, go back a few chapters. To all who received him, that is Jesus, and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 12 in our text, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus, Jesus says, I have taken you, Nicodemus, I have taken you as far as I can by way of explanation. You keep pressing me for deeper explanations of the new birth, but a heart of unbelief can't see it or enter it. That's what he's doing. He's calling Nicodemus out on this. So here's what the world would say to us. Show me and I'll believe. Show me. Come on, prove it to me and I'll believe. Here's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Believe and I'll show you. You don't receive me. You're not receiving the testimony I'm telling you. I can't go any further with you. How many have ever uh, shared their faith with someone and you were giving them all sorts of historical facts and evidence and in all of this uh, to, to help them to understand the Christian faith. And it was almost like they responded by saying, they didn't say this, but they were responding to you, uh, don't confuse me with the facts, I've already made up my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I answer a lot of questions for people and sometimes they just want to get into a little fist fight with me over over doctrine and over things like that. They're not, they're not receptive. Listen, you can reason to a point of probability beyond a reasonable doubt in the validity and the veracity of the gospel that this man, Christ Jesus, did walk this earth. He is God in human flesh. He did come to die in our place for our sins. There's plenty of evidence because the gospel is historical, evidential. It's factual. You can pile up all the evidence you want, but it takes commitment. It takes believing it takes giving your life to Christ to lead you to an experience of the gospel, to, to greater levels of certainty about the gospel. Listen to what James 4, 6 through 8 says. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's almost a pride here with Nicodemus. Man, you do not want God against you. We're going to talk about it a little bit more next week because I'm going to talk about humility. But God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He goes on. He says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. You, right now, are as close to God as you want to be. The God of the galaxies has done all he can to reach out to you, to love you, to pursue you to send his son to die in your place for your sins. He reveals himself to us through creation, through our conscience, through commandments, his word, and ultimately through Christ, God showing up here. You're only as close to God as you want to be. The breakdown in this equation between us and God is not on his side. Please understand that. It's on our side. How close do you want to be to God? A verse that I was meditating on last week, is Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for the streams of water, 
How my soul pants for you, O God. I thirst for the living God. See, that's normal Christianity is to have that deep hunger for God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, I want you more than I want anything else. And believe me, when you respond to the gospel like that, he's going to reveal himself to you. And you will be, here's the next fill in the blank, captivated by God's presence. That's that experience. You love his presence. You want his presence more than anything. So it's spiritual conviction of sin. It's mystical confidence of God's grace. It's experiential. You're captivated by God's presence. That's, that's the work of God. That's being born again. That's what happens in our lives. So how do we get it? Verses 14 through 21. Christ must die. That's the first thing. Look at verses 14 through 17. And as Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. If you want to read more about that, it's in Numbers 21. It's a great analogy of the death of, of Jesus, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's, here's one of the most popular verses in the Bible, 316. I love this verse. I never get tired of reciting this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's not a third option. There's only two options. You're either going to perish or you're going to have eternal life. And the only way that you can have eternal life is by putting your faith in Christ. Perish or eternal life. Eternal life through Christ. And I love how he starts, for God so loved the world. That's really the emphasis there. He so loved the world. He so loves you. He loved you so much, he sent his son on a mission to rescue you, to love you, to pursue you, so that you could know him. He loved you that much. Eternity will not be enough time for you to fully understand the love Jesus has for you. So ponder the achievement of God here. Let's think about this, the wonder of the cross the wonder of the cross is that in the very same stroke, it satisfies both the justice of God and the love of God. The justice of God is that aspect of his nature that demands punishment for sin. The love of God is that aspect of his nature that seeks our justification. So as you ponder the achievement of God, this is what should come to mind. When you look at the cross, there's the collision there in the cross of, of the justice of God and the love of God being declared to, to all of us. In justice, God passed the required sentence of death on our sin, but in love, he took that punishment himself on the cross. In his justice, he doesn't ignore our rebellion or relax his standard, but in his love, he assumes our sin and incredibly sentences himself. God does what we cannot do so that we can become beyond our wildest dreams perfect before him. Jesus met the conditions of the law so that God could love us unconditionally. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Out of this world. Not a better life on this planet. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved. He didn't come pointing fingers of accusation. He came with open arms to draw us in. 
Jesus didn't come with a sword in his hand, but to have nails driven into his hands. So his first coming, he came to bear our judgment. His second coming, he will bring judgment. If you want to avoid his judgment, come to faith in him now. Let him bear your judgment. That's what, it's, what he's saying. So you must believe. That's the next thing. So Christ must die. You must believe. Now, he's, Jesus is, hitting, is going to hit Nicodemus really, really hard here as we walk through this last part. This is some pretty serious stuff. Look at verses 18 through 21. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let me, let me give you an illustration of what it means to believe. Imagine you are on a high cliff and you lose your footing and begin to fall. How many hikers do we have in the house? Anybody like hiking? How many have ever been out hiking and you lost your footing and fell? Woo, I've done that. I've done that before. Nancy fell one time and really messed up her knee, and I had to carry her off the mountain. And it was, it was really difficult. It was really hard, and she was really hurt badly. Fortunately, she didn't fall next to a cliff. Imagine you're walking out on, the, on a ledge, and you lose your footing, and you're falling over that cliff. And as you fall, you see a branch sticking out of the very edge of the cliff. And it is your only hope, and it's more than enough to support your weight. If your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that the branch can support you, but you fail to reach out and grab it, you will fall to your death. If your mind instead is filled with doubts and uncertainty that the branch can hold you, but you reach out and grab it anyway, you will be saved. Why is that? Because it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Everybody has faith in something or someone. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatal, but weak faith in a strong branch will save you. No matter where you are in this walk, no matter how much you're struggling, no matter how many doubts and questions and fears you have, if you will reach out to him, reach out to him this morning, I'm telling you, he will save you. Even as a believer, maybe you've already done that and you're born again. I'm telling you, when you go through dark times, you need to reach out to him. Reach, reach out to him. There are times in my life, I mean, I'm reaching every day, by the way. I hope you are too. I'm reaching out to him and grabbing a hold of him every day. I'm clinging to him because he's the only one that can save us. And you need to do that. You need to do it every day. He goes on and says in verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light. You hear what Jesus is saying? Hey, here's, here's the verdict. Light has come into the world. Men prefer darkness over light. They have all the light they need to respond to the gospel and all that I'm doing. And he says, they prefer darkness over light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, everybody look up here.
If you wind up in hell, that's on you. You have no one else to blame. And it's because you preferred darkness over light. You preferred something temporal as your ultimate happiness than you preferred God. That's what he's saying. That's a choice you made. That's a choice you made. And I'm telling you that those of us that have made that choice, we need to look around. This place is getting worse by the minute. I don't know if you've looked at our country lately, but it's getting worse. Darkness is creeping in unlike ever before. And we as believers need to bring the light of the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, unlike we ever have before. And when we don't do that, we're telling the world that they can go to hell. God has called us to bring his kingdom into the circumstances, into our neighborhoods, into this church, throughout the world, because Christ Jesus is our only hope. He's our only hope. We need to rally together and do all that we can to reach as many people as we can with the life-transforming power of the gospel. My heart has never been more excited about what God's doing here at Desert Breeze. So here's what I would challenge you with. What is your next step? As a follower of Christ, maybe you're not a follower of Christ. This would be a good morning to commit your life to Christ. I mean, you, you know what the gospel is. I've just shared it with you. Give your life to him. What are you waiting for? That would be, that would be the first part. Just become a genuine Christian. Maybe that's your next step. Or maybe you're, you've made that decision, and your next step would be a growing Christian. Don't be stale. Man, you should be excited about this gospel. God's brought people within your circle of influence to, to build a bridge of relationships so that you can share with them or invite them to church or point them to where they can find the only one that can satisfy the deepest longing of their heart. He's called us to do that. So grow. Get involved in a small group. Study daily. Interact with God. So genuine growing, that may be your next step, just to grow. And the next one would be a giving Christian. God wants to use, and and he wants you to leverage your time and your talent and your treasure to to help us as a church family to have a greater impact right here on I-17. Oh, my goodness, what what a place. We have hundreds of thousands of cars go by this place. We have people coming in and checking us out all the time, even within this service, as you reach out within the service and even beyond this service within your own neighborhood then we can reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fourth G is a going Christian. Just be aware of the people that are around your life. Begin to pray for them. Begin to care for them. Begin to connect with them. Begin to reach out to them. That's a going Christian. And do all of this all for God's glory. What's your next step? Take that next step and do that to honor him for his glory. My wife and I will be up at the front of the service here. At the end of this service, along with any available elders, and if you're, in, if you're new, we would love to meet you. If you need prayer for any reason, we would love to pray with you. If you are committing or recommitting your life to Christ, uh, come on up. Tell us about it. We want to celebrate that with you. And so would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. So, Father God, we are thankful that the Christian life is not an invitation to become a better person, but to become a brand new person, to be born again. It's not achieved. It's received that when we respond to, in faith to the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, we can become brand new people 
who not only see your kingdom and enter your kingdom with unimaginable privileges and potential and perspective and purpose and power. God, I pray for those that, that need to commit their life to you this morning, that they would acknowledge their sin that separates them from you. They would believe in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in, in their place for their sins. And may they confess him as the Lord and Savior of their life. Lord, may they do that now. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place for our sins, satisfying the justice of God and magnifying the love of God. Holy Spirit, convict us of sin. Give us confidence in your grace, and may we be captivated by your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. God bless you.